would be great. The other thing too is Christmas in the backyard. There's flyers here. So please take some flyers with you and invite your friends and neighbours. We want to share the love of Jesus to our community. So there'll be some of these out in the the foyer afterwards. Um, Also, there are some... uh, Anyone needs sermon notes? There's some down here. Judy, could you just throw them up if uh, you didn't receive one on the way in? Perhaps one of you young guys could uh, just fire those around. That would be great. I have a question for you today. What causes you to sing? What causes you to sing? Now tell me, is it, is it a forced thing? Uh, is it when you're sort of in amongst a large crowd and yet you're watching a particular event that uh, finally patriotism and pride are well within you and you, you start singing uh, God Defend New Zealand? Oh no, you start singing Advanced Australia Fair. Okay. Or is it a, a very private thing for you? that causes you to sing. Um, Perhaps uh, deep down you have aspirations uh, to be a famous singer. I used to laugh when my my girls were growing up. I I would often hear these shrieks coming from the bathroom and um, they would be sort of mocking uh, a singer. They'd have a hairbrush in their hand and they'd be pretending to, to, to sing the latest pop song and um, it was meant to be a private thing, but I'd open the door and see what was going on. So it was fairly humorous. Uh, yeah, so what causes you to sort of want to belt out that ballad or an aria uh, uh, while you're taking your morning shower? I don't know. What does cause you to sing? You know what I've noticed uh, recently that uh, people don't sing like they used to. I grew up in a, a small rural town and and uh, I always remember hearing or seeing workmen whistling or singing. I don't see that anymore. Do you see that? No, I, I noticed a stark contrast when we moved from New Zealand to, to Australia and you know, involved in, a, in, a, in the corporate world. Um, there was no singing, even though the, probably the anthem of the song inside the corporate world was money, money, money. Uh, but there was no real heartfelt singing going on in that corporate office. If you did, they'd probably take you to the loony bin. But um, that, that's, uh, you don't hear people sing. But I think we'd all acknowledge that when we do sing, when we do have things well up within our hearts and we've been emotionally affected by something, some circumstance or, or situation, you remember a song, don't you? I remember last year, Julie and I went to the live show Les Mis and, and for the next few days, I was the next French revolutionary in the backyard. You know, with that song in my head, can you hear the people sing, singing the songs of angry men? You know, sitting up barrier, barricades in the backyard trying to, to spot the dog with the water pistol. You know, so because of the, the event, because of the, the stage show, it, it stirred an emotion within my heart that I thought, oh, I want to sing that song. I'm sure at the end of the Second World War, as, as, as Britain accelerated victory, that the song Land of Hope and Glory took on a new meaning. It took on a, a new significance as victory had been won. 
You see, generally great songs correlate to great events. And the Bible has myriads of songs written like that. Think of the psalmist. You know, I'd love to have been, you know, 3,000 years ago, heading up to Jerusalem, up to Mount Moriah, up to where the temple was, and, and chanting the, the psalm of ascents from Psalm 24. Just quickly turn there and think about this celebration of song. You have pilgrims marching up to Mount Zion, pilgrims marching up 4,000 feet from the lowlands. And they're collectively saying, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has formed it upon the seas and established upon the rivers. And then some rhetorical questions get asked. Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who can go into his temple? Who shall stand in his holy place? And the answer comes back. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has received the blessing from the Lord. And then collectively, they, they, as they are ascending to the hill of the Lord, they, they shout these things, Lift up ye heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up ye heads, O ye gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Would that cause you to sing? As you reflected upon that? I hope so. So next Sunday, as I stand out in the car park, I want to see, lift up your heads, O ye gates, as you march into church, as you rejoice because you come to worship. You know, these people, as they were making their pilgrimage, they make it three times a year into Jerusalem. Their song of their heart was their mighty God. So, great songs correlate to great events. Now, this morning we're going to look at the greatest event. The greatest event this world has ever known. And we're going to look at the song that marks that event. We're talking about the promised birth of the Messiah. A song that deeply impacted Mary, who's the composer of the song. And a song that should deeply impact any follower of Christ. This is the type of song that should mark out our devotion to Christ. This is the type of song that should be consistently on our heart and in our minds. This is the song we need to be singing. So turn with me please to Luke chapter 1 and, and we'll read some verses together. If you have your Bibles, I'm reading from the English Standard Version and uh, starting at verse 39. In those days Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town called Judah. 
And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on my humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke as he spoke to his, our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see, we here in the, the first book of Luke, we have the birth of Jesus, the announcement of Jesus. Previously in, in chapter 1, we, we have the birth of John being announced to Zechariah. And then we have the birth of Jesus being announced to Mary in a supernatural way. You see, Elizabeth was barren and Mary was a virgin. You see, you have an announcement to one of nobility. You see, Elizabeth was of a high status, of the upper class. Her husband was a high priest, considered in the upper echelon. And yet Mary was a peasant woman, considered of low birth and of of no birth. Both Elizabeth and Mary um, believed and had faith in the promises of God. If you read through chapter 1 prior to these verses we've read, you see that coming through in such a strong way. Their, their faith was centered on, on God's promises and God's spoken word through, for Mary through the angel of, of Gabriel and for Elizabeth through the testimony of the angel that had spoken to Zechariah. For one will bear the, the forerunner, the forerunner, the, the, the announcer, the one who's going to announce who Jesus is. One would be the bearer of John. And one would be the bearer of the Messiah, the promised one. You see, as you read these, these first few verses from uh, 39 through, through 45, as as Mary comes to, to her relative, as Mary comes to, to see Elizabeth, you're not told much about the greeting, mate. you just see they greeted one another. But you are told a lot about the response. 
What's the first thing you notice here? Elizabeth hears the greeting from Mary. And I don't, we can't read into what this greeting would be. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But it might be if it was in an Australian circumstance. G'day, Elizabeth. How are you going? You know, it's just a formal greeting between relatives. Yes, Mary had travelled a distance to do this. But the first response is not actually from Elizabeth. Who's it from? It's from John. It's from John, who gives Elizabeth a good kick. The baby leaps in the womb. Now, I've never had that experience. I wouldn't even want to contemplate what that experience is like. But this is the the fact and the reality that this baby responded to the fact that Mary was there with Jesus by leaping in the womb. And what else happened here which is remarkable? What happens is both Elizabeth and John are filled with the Holy Spirit. You realize that, you know, in today's age, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we receive the Spirit based on that confession of faith, right? But here in this time, the Spirit would come upon people at times for special acts. Right through the Old Testament, you see that. The Spirit comes upon David, comes upon Isaiah, Jeremiah, the minor prophets. In the same way, the Spirit comes upon Elizabeth and John before Jesus' birth for preparation for the coming Messiah. See, the Spirit revealed to Elizabeth who was standing in that room. The Spirit revealed that her Lord, her Saviour, God incarnate was in that room with her. Because that's what she explains. She first says, blessed you among women. Personal blessing to Mary. But why? Because of the fruit of your womb. You are blessed because you are the mother of the Messiah. God has granted you a special provision to bear the Messiah. That's why I'm praising you, Mary, not because you are the mother of God, not because of some other heresy there, but because you are bearing the Messiah. And then she marvels. Elizabeth marvels and says, why should the mother of my Lord... Don't forget those situations. That that, that phrase is, is just tremendous. See, Elizabeth blesses Mary because of the fruit of her womb, and then she blesses Mary because the child is actually her Lord. And as a reader of this text, as an original reader of this text, you would see the significance of this, because every time Lord is mentioned in the New Testament, it is a direct correlation to Yahweh of the old. The covenant-keeping, faithful, promising God of the Bible. 
So there is a position of divinity here as, as Elizabeth is revealed to her through the Holy Spirit that this child that, that we're waiting for the birth of is actually Christ, the Son of God. So that's the second reason that Elizabeth praises Mary. First, because the fruit of a womb is Christ. Second, that he is actually Lord. And thirdly, if you read down there, she testifies to the fact that I know this is something incredibly supernatural and something incredibly special because my baby jumped and leaped for joy. How do you know the baby's leaping for joy? Can some of you mothers there tell me, how do you know that your baby has leaped for joy in the womb? I don't know. How do you know it's just uncomfortable not kicking you? I don't know. But Elizabeth testifies to the fact that the Spirit has revealed to her the joyous nature of this leaping. Instead of a kick, maybe it was just a nice sort of massage. I don't know. But she knew the baby leaped for joy. And then she, he continues and, and gives us the third point of why Elizabeth praises Mary. I think this is significant. Verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's the key. The key is Mary's faith. She had heard the angel Gabriel, and we'll reference this shortly. Verse 26 through 38. She asked questions about what this would mean. But she summarized in verse 38 with these words, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Her faithfulness is on display. Mary believed what the angel had told her. Mary had no doubt. And this is a cause for Elizabeth's praise. As revealed by who? The Holy Spirit. We don't know what the greeting was. Remember, there's only a, there might have only been one or two words of greeting, and yet all this is revealed to Elizabeth through the power of God's Spirit. And then we see Mary's response. Mary's response to Elizabeth's response. And this is what I consider. One of those songs. One of those songs that marks the greatest event in human history. And this is Mary just magnifying and rejoicing in her God. And we get to see it. We get to look at it. We get to think through it. We get to be shaped by it. 
get to consider it. And hopefully we get to magnify God as well because we have a relationship with him. So my question for you for the balance of this sermon is what causes you to magnify and rejoice in the Lord? Take the shutters down. What is it that's deep within you that causes you to magnify and rejoice in the Lord? Well, let's see what Mary did. And maybe that will help answer the question. You see, we have uh, this song, as I'll put it. I think it's broken into three uh, sections. I think you have Mary's response of praise personally. This is what it means to me personally, Lord, that, that this mighty work has done. And she starts off by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is a present and active thing. It's not something that is uh, static. It's something that is being ongoing. It's a present reality that her soul was in a constant state of magnifying, of um, holding in great esteem through praise, of exalting, of glorifying, of speaking highly of her Lord. And that's remarkable in itself. You think about Mary, the peasant girl. You think about her social circumstances. An unmarried woman who is pregnant. An unmarried woman who is pregnant with no funds. An unmarried woman who is pregnant with no funds and who is very poor. Her circumstances don't change her praise. Notice that? Her circumstances do not change who she is worshipping. She magnifies the Lord consistently in a present tense perspective. And her spirit rejoices in God, her Saviour. This is interesting because the verb tense changes. This rejoices is past tense. So what is she rejoicing for? She's rejoicing for the very fact that the Spirit of God has planted within her this child the saviour of the world. So she magnifies and she rejoices. Because God has chosen her. She continues to rejoice. She did not expect or assume that she would be the object of such personal attention from God. Like, I'm pretty sure that Mary, this wasn't Mary's golden life. She wasn't sitting in, <laughs> in Nazareth saying, Lord, I think I need to be the mother of Jesus. She was a humble servant of God. She feared the Lord, as we will see as some of these things come out through this song. But the beauty is that when the supernatural event happened, 
She said, I am your bondservant, Lord. I am your bondservant. That's a term we do not use these days. Bondservant, I would think the closest association to that would be in the marriage union. You are united as one. And this is what Mary says, I am your bondservant. Let me do according to your word. And her response is not related to her circumstance. Her response is related to her saviour. Magnifying and rejoicing. Two other reasons are given as to why she praises in a personal way. Firstly, because of her humble estate. For he has looked at my humble estate of his bondservant. And we've talked about this. Uh, unlike Elizabeth, um, Mary was a, a poor peasant girl of low status or rank. And I think the reason she thanks God for that is because she sees God working through her for people like her. God is concerned about the low and contrite of heart. He's concerned about the humble and the downtrodden. And he's using Mary as such to bring in the salvation of the world. Christ the king didn't come to a king's palace, did he? He wasn't born through an aristocrat, no. He was born through a humble servant girl. And she acknowledges that. She says... I don't understand why I'm blessed in such a way. Because, you know, what was pronounced to her back in 26 through 38 was the very nature of the child. Look at verse 31 on. It's the angel speaking to Mary, and you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him to the throne, or will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. These are messianic promises, and Mary gets it because the Spirit of God reveals it to her. Because verse thirty-five tells us that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born and be called Holy, the Son of God. The Son of the Most High and the Son of God are interchangeable terms. It means the same thing. And uh, this is what Mary wrestles with. The Messiah, the promised one. Born through me. incredible and she reflects that in her praise because she magnifies and rejoices secondly one of the other reasons for her praise she, she looks at a humble estate the second one is that um, he has done mighty things talking about God 
Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She focuses on God's attributes of power, on his exalted holiness and on his mercy. I love the way that she, she talks about the holiness of God in this whole concept of this remarkable conception. Now, this is sort of known as God's unique holiness as a deliverer, and it's probably taken from Isaiah 57, which alludes to it. Isaiah 57, 17 says this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to receive the spirit of the lowly and to receive the heart of the contrite. That is wonderful. You consider that. So in summary of this little section here, you have Mary magnifying the Lord. It's an ongoing, continued action. Uh, she rejoices in what he has done through the amazing conception and, and dwelling of the Spirit. She saw a humble position in that, so that's a past thing as well as the bond slave of, of her God and then she acknowledges that all generations will call me blessed that's a future blessing so all nations will praise her because the salvation of the world comes from her so that's the way Mary magnified the Lord how do you rejoice what is the basis of your rejoicing? Is it your circumstance or is it the person and character of God? Mary further uh, praises God for his acts for all. If we look down here from verse uh, 50 to 53, and I won't do a lot of comment on this, but you see it changes. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud of the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and he exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Notice all the verbs in there. He has shown. He has scattered. He has brought down. He has exalted. He has filled he has sent. These are really interesting verbs because you know as Mary speaks as these things, these things have not yet occurred because the child has not yet been born. Yet she has such certainty in the promises that God has given her that the Messiah is within her womb that she says these things will be accomplished as if they have. These are called prophetic errors, if you want to know the technical term. What that means is, uh, really, these events are seen as so certain that even though they are future events, they can be portrayed as past realities. Let me say that again. These events are seen as so certain that even though they are future events, they can be portrayed as past realities. 
And that's what the essence of those that stanza is. And that takes, we can take great encouragement from that. Because you know what? When we are promised things by God through Christ, we can be certain that those things will occur. We can be certain of the security of our salvation. Why? Because it's based on the blood of Christ, and he said so. We can be secure because he has sealed us by the Holy Spirit, waiting for the day of redemption. The ultimate day of redemption has not occurred yet because we still live on this earth. And that we have not been reunited with our Saviour, we, we have not been resurrected, but it will. And we have certainty about that. So Mary praises God for his acts for all. Please notice here that his mercy is for those who fear him. It's not locked, in, locked into a national certainty here. It's locked into a global fact that anyone who fears the Lord, in Old Testament terms this would describe anyone who acknowledges God's position of authority. Mary is a god fearer. we know that. She says, yes, your word, I've heard it, I'll do it. Mary acknowledges that her God is holy and he is exalted above the heavens and earth. And she outlines here that all who fear you will taste your mercy. And then she contrasts those who will and those who won't. Those who are unresponsive are the proud of heart. Those who are unresponsive are kings and the rich in this context. It's quite interesting because riches and kingship tend to be proud occupations. So really the essence of this is about prideful heart responses towards God. And they will be unresponsive to God's mercy. You've seen that yourself as you've, as you've talked to people who have shunned the claims of Christ. Pride takes over. Un unresponsive. Who is responsive according to these picture languages here are those who are humble and those who are hungry. Those who have and acknowledge a need. Those who have and acknowledge a need for a saviour. So that's what this stanza is talking about. It's talking about Mary praises God for his acts for all. His mercy is for all. The proud won't see it. The responsive humble and hungry will. And finally she looks at verse 54 and 55. And these verses here, I'll read them again. Um, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. These verses, in Mary's view, consider a national focus and suggest she is waiting for a political deliverance as well as a spiritual one. The nation here could only be a remnant of faithful, as the context tells us, 
because only those who fear God will see him. The context shows that only God fearers can count on his deliverance. But I think the essential elements of here is, is Mary focuses on the God who is promised and who is delivering. She promised, God promised to the nation, to Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you the land. And through you, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. This is the all peoples of the earth will be blessed portion. Because God is sending Messiah. And Mary is crying out and saying, God, you are faithful to your promises. You are the covenant-keeping God, the one that shows hesed love. That's the, the, the term that's used for Yahweh, hesed love and covenant faithfulness. You see, God is faithful to his people because he's faithful to his promises. It's the same for you and I. God is faithful to us because he is faithful to, for his promises he has given us through Christ. That should cause us to magnify him. That should cause us to be full of joy and rejoicing because we have a covenant faithful God. Mary's magnificent, as it's been called in the Latin, is based on God's character and his promises for his people, of whom, if you put your faith in Christ, you are one of. It shows the fulfillment of divine promises and that the Messiah is to be born. We see in this, this wonderful song, just this reversal of order, a king born to one of the lowly estate, salvation is for those who are humble and hungry, the child born to Mary is clearly greater than the child born to Elizabeth. This child is greater than all other children born of all other women. That's why Mary's called blessed. And we see the things that are revealed to Mary and to Elizabeth by the Holy Spirit is that what has been concealed is now revealed. It's starting to be revealed because he's yet to be born. But it will be revealed as we've seen by the tenses of these particular verbs. So I come to the question earlier. What causes you to sing and magnify and rejoice in the Lord? Well, maybe I could restate the question. What stops you from singing, rejoicing, magnifying and praising the Lord? Well, firstly, you may not know him. You may not know that he is the Lord of the universe. The salvation comes by no other. And you must, you must put your faith and trust in him if you are to receive salvation. And I'll tell you what, if you do take that step, he will magnify and praise the Lord. The second thing is you may know him, but you're currently in a spiritual desert. Right? Your Christian life feels dry, it feels mechanical, it feels just a whole lot of Christmas functions. You know, one after the other, just going along with no real purpose. 
the weight of the world's on your shoulders. You may have unresolved conflict. There may be all sorts of things going on in your own personal life, and that causes you not to stop and magnify and praise your Saviour. But you know what? Like Mary, I would encourage you to look to Christ who has saved you. Look to him. Be acquainted with his promises. Be acquainted with what he has done for you. That would change your heart. Do it afresh. Do it daily. Do it every day. Think about your whole devotional life of prayer, memorization, meditation, and reading God's word. If you're in a spiritually dry place, don't give that up. Because that's the only place that you can become refreshed. So do something about that this week if you're feeling spiritually dry. Do something about becoming consistent in intake of God's word. You know, the sheet that you've got, you've got some verses to consider in your quiet times on the bottom of the sheet. Use them. Reflect upon them. Remember the joy of your salvation. I love the Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Take me not from thy presence, but let, let me remember the joy of my salvation, Lord. That should be the cry of our heart if we, if we uh, want to magnify and praise God. And thirdly, what causes you to magnify and, and, and rejoice in the Lord? Remember the hope to come. Remember the hope to come. We will be one day in his glorious presence where faith will give way to sight and we'll be with him and we will see him and we will worship him together. That's the response of Mary. I hope it's the response of your heart. Let's forget about the tinsel, let's forget about the trees, let's forget about all that sort of stuff. Let's focus on who we worship through this season. Let the song of your heart magnify Christ the Lord. Thanks, music team.